Good day. Welcome to a podcast for July 2013 for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Kelly Chappenden. I'm the editor-in-chief of JPEN, and I'm pleased here to be with Dr. Mehta today from Boston Children's Hospital to discuss the paper appearing in the July 2013 issue of JPEN, Defining Pediatric Malnutrition, a Paradigm Shift Towards Etiology-Related Definitions. Welcome, Dr. Mehta. I'm wondering if you can start by telling us about the task force that you chaired on pediatric malnutrition definitions and how you and your task force members went about developing these definitions. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Tappen, and I appreciate this opportunity to speak with you on an important topic. I represent my task force, and I speak on behalf of them today. At the outset, I would uh, state that this was a multidisciplinary task force, and it was representative of not just multiple centers, but people from a wide area of expertise and past experiences. So the task force was gathered by the American Society of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, who uh, foresaw the need for coming together and developing a pediatric malnutrition definition. And we were assigned the task of putting together a framework, a structure, in proposing this new definition that would perhaps serve as a consolidation of all the literature in the past, but more importantly, chart the way that we need to go forward in the future. So that was the task force. We, it took us several months to work on this, and one of the principal themes was to try as much as possible to gather the wonderful work done by predecessors on this topic, but then uh, try to make it uh, practically applicable at the bedside. In terms of the methodology, Dr. Abinan, what we did was try to break down the concept of pediatric malnutrition into some key elements. What is it that we need to incorporate into the definition? And the task force came together and agreed upon five main elements, those being the anthropometric variables, growth, how does one use the anthropometric variables to define growth, which would address growth charts and the practical use of those charts at the bedside or in the clinic. The third concept was chronicity of malnutrition. And then the most important one being the etiology and etiopathogenesis, as in what is the principal cause or the or the genesis of malnutrition, if you like, in individual patients. And finally, we thought we wanted the task force to focus on outcomes, and hence we incorporated functional status as a key element of the new definition of pediatric malnutrition. And once we defined these elements, we assigned each member or a group of member, uh, subgroups of the task force, each of these elements to go off into the literature and uh, do a structured search as has been developed by the Aspen group in the past and come back with the available literature so that once again the task force could sit and through an iterative process, develop specific answers to questions posed for each element. And these are very well summarized in the table, in the paper, and that is also in the executive summary, which is table two. The executive summary does exactly that, which is 
describe the concise recommendations for each of these questions within each of the elements that was highlighted by the task force. And the final thing was to use these elements to construct a framework uh, for the definition which would account for each of these elements and we came up with the eventual definition and practical guidelines on how one would use that definition to classify patients into various grades, severity of malnutrition. Thank you. So when it comes to identifying malnutrition, the first step, of course, is to screen. Uh, how do you propose screening uh, in the pediatric population? The paper recommends weight, height, BMI, mid-arm muscle circumference, triceps infold on admission, and then clearly using appropriate growth charts. But tell me, are there screening tools available for use in pediatric populations like there are in adults? You know, that is a very good question. One of the principal aims of developing this unified or uniform approach to pediatric malnutrition was to allow us as a community to come together and develop tools that would then not only be uniform but easy to apply at the bedside. In answer to your second question, in terms of available screening tools, there are several centers who have developed uh, screening tools within their institution. On one hand, these are extremely well thought of and have over a period of time been applied to these individual centers to good effect. On the other hand, unfortunately, these vary quite a lot, and we don't currently have uh, at least a comprehensive screening tool that we use. One thing that I would at the outset state is the task force decided to come up with a framework and recommendations and then assigned or asked the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics to come forth and take on the the baton, if you like, to take the next step, which is to fine-tune these recommendations into very specific measures and thresholds and cutoffs, which could then be used as screening processes. So let me describe just some of the broad recommendations that we came up with. In terms of screening, it was very important to articulate what anthropometric variables amongst so many out there are relevant and useful. And here we relied entirely on literature and some wonderful work done that helped us consolidate at least some of the key ones, which is height, weight, length uh, when it comes to children under two years of age. And then uh, specifically we reached out and looked at the use of mid-upper arm circumference and tricep skin fold, and finally incorporating head circumference. Again, none of these are new recommendations, but what we thought we would do is try to provide recommendations for what you should do uniformly and, and then take a step forward and provide some guidelines as to what charts one would use to compare these individual measurements with and which is where in the summary recommendations in Table 2 we talk about the World Health Organization charts from 2006 study for children up to two years of age and then the CDC 2000 charts for children between two years and 20 years. So we recommend some anthropometric variables which have withstood the test of time and have been proven to be predictors of nutrition screening and then we recommend what charts to use to compare them. And then finally we went one step further and said we do need to come together as a group and define what statistic we would use to try to compare the individual patient to the population reference standard. And this is where we introduced the concept of Z-scores, which in many centers have been adopted in many individual research teams, but we as a group haven't yet articulated as such not just the role, the benefits, but the potential for using that as a uniform tool. So, you know, 
The short answer is, as far as screening is concerned, anthropometrics have been available for a long time, but the call from our task force was to come together and choose the group of anthropometric variables, choose the charts that would be used as reference charts, and then choose the Z-score, which turns out to be repeatedly performing as a tool that we could adopt as a community, as a universal tool. Well, that's very interesting. I'm intrigued to see what the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics group comes up with, because certainly anthropometrics in these kids is critically important, but when we think about the attributes we need in screening tools, it needs to be issues that can be easily done on admission by a non-trained individual, and, and anthropometrics may sort of cross beyond that, right? So it'll be interesting to see how we define in the future what's screening and what's then necessary with a full assessment. You're absolutely correct, Dr. Tabinen. And and to add to that, I would state that we did actually recommend that institutions could use measures that would simplify this process. And exactly as you pointed out, whilst you would need a set of trained individuals to do detailed anthropometry, there would be screening processes that could be incorporated into electronic health records, for example. And these EHRs could help one flag patients that are already with simple measurements of weight and height are beginning to fall beyond certain Z-scores and hence alert the healthcare team to go to the next step in further refining the screening process. The EHRs in some places we have seen being employed in this fashion, but there still needs to be a concerted effort to bring them uh, to the fore. Very good. Now tell me, inflammation when it comes to nutrition or malnutrition in adult patients is a very big deal. You guys touch on inflammation in children, but tell me, how do we best assess that? This is a big question that remains to be answered in the pediatric population. One thing is very clear in the last decade, due to the wonderful work done by so many investigators, both in the adult and and some in the pediatric field, that there is a nexus between illness, inflammation, and malnutrition that is undeniable. The question is, do we have currently adequate biomarkers that can allow us to both identify but also then assess the severity of inflammation and then its role in malnutrition? There is some uh, work in the past which has looked at not necessarily crude but fairly small group of markers such as C-reactive protein and ESR. And unfortunately, these are just skimming the surface of the the complex interaction between inflammation and malnutrition. At the most recent uh, Clinical Nutrition Week in 2013, we heard some uh, amazing summary work from all over the world, which has highlighted many new biomarkers, but still having to be tested in the pediatric as well as the adult world. So in answer to your question, I think at this stage, we wanted as a task force to basically alert the community to the concept of inflammation and malnutrition being tied together. The next step would be to make concerted efforts for investigators as well as healthcare teams at the bedside to begin to look into available and potentially research novel biomarkers that would allow us to understand inflammation better. I believe the surgical group is the one that has looked into the role of C-reactive protein and how it interacts during disease processes and how fluctuations in its levels can be helpful in predicting response to feeding. But again, this work needs to be taken much further and currently remains investigative and very much in its infancy. Thank you. So I have one final question before we wrap up. And, you know, the 2012 malnutrition definition for adults 
functional status is also included as one of the six criteria to be assessed, and that's proposed to be done using hand grip strength as one of the potential ways. How do we measure functional status in children? Of all the elements that we incorporated in this new pediatric malnutrition definition, if I was to highlight one which needs most attention is the one related to functional outcomes. I don't believe that we can move forward and make the necessary leap from current paradigms where we monitor nutritional status to a paradigm where we can effectively show impact of our interventions on outcomes. And until we begin to both document and become good at monitoring these outcomes, the role of nutritional intervention remains at best contemplative. So in answer to your question, I think the three things that we believe are low-hanging fruit are lean body mass and muscle strength. Unfortunately, unlike the adults, not all of our patients are able to do the hand grip strength, and we have a large population where voluntary muscle strength testing is just impossible. So to that extent, I think this is a clarion call to all our colleagues to come up with innovative ways in which to assess muscle function. I, I believe we could start with documenting lean body mass and and at that stage begin to look into both active and passive methods of testing muscle strength and integrity. Once again, biomarkers for good quality protein balance, not just a positive protein balance, will help buttress the, this particular element uh, of functional outcome. But in addition to hand grip strength, Dr. Tappen, I would say that in the pediatric world, we have other functional outcomes that we can address. The classic ones would be the developmental milestones and the intelligent quotient. We, in the past, have looked at these in the setting of micronutrient deficiencies, like iron deficiencies, but we need to be a little more objective in our assessment of developmental milestones. And here I would invite colleagues across the aisle from the neurology and developmental world who do this for a living and help us out. And then finally is, are the soft markers, which currently in the current scenario in healthcare are extremely relevant. Resource utilization, length of mechanical ventilation if you are critically ill, duration of hospital stay, and these probably would be, again, low-hanging fruit that we can start assessing. And we have in the critical care world begun to show direct associations between nutritional status and these. And the last one, once again, boils down to the inflammation malnutrition nexus, which is the impact of malnutrition on immunity and a lot of very good work in defining immune function or dysfunction, if you like, along with malnutrition, is currently in its infancy but beginning to show promise. So it, it sounds like we may have a group of outcomes far from being ready for application but very much poised to come forward in the pediatric world and help us out if we together make a focused attempt at incorporating both in our definition of malnutrition but also going forward and religiously documenting outcomes in our day-to-day -day assessment. For more information or to view this article, please visit us at jpen.sagepub.com.